Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by my one awesome co-host, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I am good. I uh, am not in Bulgaria, and I'm not taking care of a small child like our other co-hosts are, uh, but I am reading a lot of books and interactive fiction this week. Yeah, um, short but exciting games. Uh, so this is our first IF Comp 2019 episode. Our format's a little different this time. Uh, we'll explain more in a bit. But this first episode is going to be just me and Laura talking about the games that we've played in the first couple of days of the comp, uh, and also just an introduction. So if you have, if you're brand new to IF Comp, or if you're brand new to IF, uh, this is a great place to start. Um, and uh, we'll be continuing this with follow-up episodes with, of course, the rest of our co-hosts and more IFCOMP coverage going forward. So IFCOMP is Interactive Fiction Competition, and it's our fall tradition. Some people do sweaters, some people do autumn spice things, people buy pumpkins. We sit in front of our computers or tablets or mobile phones, and we play interactive fiction. It is a competition that's been going on for 25 years. We've been covering it since 2015. There are 82 entries this year, and there's no way that I personally can play 82 games. So, uh, Reagan, do you want to explain what interactive fiction is for people who don't know what that is? (laughs) Yes, sure. Um, And so, yeah, if you're new to the show or if you're new to interactive fiction, what we're talking about are... uh, and I'll try to keep this short. Uh, we're talking about our text-based video games. Um, broadly speaking, so first of all, if you think way back to the 80s, for example, and you ever remember playing or seeing someone play a text adventure, uh, that's essentially the kind of game that we're talking about. But that form has come a long way in those many years um, and in the 25 years of the comp, which is sort of the central event of the uh, interactive fiction uh, scene or, or hobby, so to speak. And um, so... Broadly speaking, we're talking about kind of two main types of work uh, that are competing in the comp. Anybody can enter a game into the interactive fiction competition. Um, But broadly speaking, we're talking about two main types. Uh, One would be parser-based games. These are games where you're sitting in front, uh, where you're typing commands into a parser, meaning that like uh, the game describes a scene to you, and then you can type in commands in text that resemble natural English. Uh, So, you know, the most basic would be things like go north, get lamp, uh, you know, hit troll with sword, that kind of thing. But over the many years of the interactive fiction competition and the interactive fiction scene in general, uh, the subject matter and the technology behind that style of games has expanded out. So we're actually talking mostly about games that are really um, much broader than what you might think of if you've only played those old games from the 80s. Uh, The other type would be choice-based interactive fiction. So you can kind of reductively think of these as the sort of choose-your-own-adventure-esque kind of style. But again, here there's a, there's been a lot of uh, developments over many years in terms of, f- of format and technology and also in terms of sort of artistic breadth. So in within interactive fiction, you have almost as much breadth of subject matter and style as you have in regular fiction, um, except all of these incorporate some sort of interactivity within them, whether that's something as simple as kind of playing, uh, clicking through text in a kind of a hypertext, um, you know, link clicking kind of way, all the way up to uh, things that are doing some kind of full-on simulation. Um, These are all games where your primary interaction with the game is through text, reading it and potentially writing it. 
Yeah, and if you're interested in more information about interactive fiction, we did a whole episode on what is this? Uh, it's episode 31, and then there way are back. back episodes. Yeah, way <laughs> back. And then there are episodes on every single year since 2015. Uh, as we said, we love this time of year because we try to do a couple episodes uh, because there's so many entries. Uh, I think, you know, 82 is the most they've ever had, but we've, you can hear us freak out yearly. There are 50 <laughs> games. Every there year. There are 60 <laughs> games. Every year we have a little bit of a panic attack, but it is very much like nerd Christmas for us here. Absolutely. And um, a couple other things I want to mention here. Um, first of all, to describe the rules of the comp, you know, you uh, folks enter these games, but then anyone can vote on the the games and you can vote on as many games as you want. So if you're listening to this, you are an IF comp judge. You can go to the website and play as many of these games as you want. They're available on a really slickly designed website that's been getting better and better over the years. Uh, and uh, you can play most of these games in a browser or download them and play them on your computer. Um, and uh, uh, you then get to vote on them. The competition runs from basically now, the beginning of October through November 15th. And during that month and a half, you can play as many as these games as you want or as you can. And then you can vote uh, in a web form that's also part of that website, uh, rating any of these games basically however you want, but they give you some guidelines about how folks usually think of their scores and ratings here. You're rating them on a 10-point scale. And um, you can rate as many games as or as few games as you want. You don't have to necessarily complete a game in order to rate it. They actually specifically tell you that you should play, you should base your rating on how you feel about the game after two hours. Most of these games are 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, some of them are an hour. They'll tell you right in the description how long they estimate the games are. Almost none of them say longer than two hours. Um, and uh, once you've played a game, you can rate it, and those ratings go into a very complicated algorithm that spits out a uh, leaderboard at the end of the competition. And uh, there are, in fact, actual prizes. So um, there's a colossal fund run by the Interactive Fiction uh, Foundation uh, that has a, they're still working on raising that money. So if you feel like it, you can donate to the fund, which goes directly to prizes, as well as some amount for admin for the fund and, and for the competition. Um, and they're trying to raise $10,000, which gets distributed widely among the competition participants. So uh, the top games get a very nice prize, but almost everybody gets some little amount, a token amount to, uh, to uh, you know, encourage folks to create these types of games. Um, and so it's a really cool competition. We love participating in it every year. Um, our format for our coverage might be a little different this year than it has been in the past. First of all, um, if you if you haven't listened to the show in a while, maybe you only listen to our IF comp coverage. First of all, welcome back. Uh, things have been changing around here a little bit with the short game. We, uh, first of all, now have a Patreon. I won't spend too long uh, belaboring that point. But uh, if you would like, you can support us at patreon.com slash the short game. And as a part of that, we have shifted to a weekly format. So if you've been around for a while, you probably know that we were pretty inconsistent about our timing, particularly around the IF comp season. Um, now we are actually a weekly podcast. Podcast. And uh, that has meant a lot more, more effort, uh, but it has also really paid off in terms of building community and uh, just 
being consistent and everything. And we've been having a wonderful time with it. So and dealing with the insanity <laughs> of this fall's release schedule. Yes, it has been really interesting. So anyway, join us on our Patreon. Everyone on our Patreon gets invited to our Discord where we discuss games. So we have a lively conversation going on in our IF Comp channel right now where we're talking about what we're playing. If you want, you can join us there. A uh, dollar a month or higher gets you into that. Um, and um, uh, because we've shifted to this weekly format, uh, we may not necessarily be doing our IF Comp coverage consecutively. We've done this mostly in the past uh, with three, two to three uh, IF Comp episodes, maybe even four in some cases, but mostly three over the course of the full month and a half of the comp. Now that we're we're going to be interspersing other stuff. So you're going to get a IF comp episode this week. Next week is actually our 200th episode. And so we have a special episode planned for that. And then we'll be returning to IF comp um, for, I think, at least two more IF comp episodes in addition to this one before the end of the comp. So uh, stick with the show. Please subscribe in whatever uh, podcast app you like to use. And uh, we really appreciate you checking out the show. One final thing I'll mention, um, anytime we start talking about games like these, uh, games that are often so very short that they are, you know, they can be 15, 30 minutes, um, it can be very difficult to discuss these in any depth without involving spoilers. I chapterize these episodes so that if you're using a podcast app that supports it, and pretty much all of them do, uh, you can at any time skip to any game that we discuss. Each one will be its own separate chapter. Um, if you haven't used chapters in your uh, in your podcast app, check it out. Uh, and uh, what that means is if we get to a point where we're going to be discussing things that we consider, but we, we'll try to avoid spoilers as much as possible. And uh, we're not going to be discussing like puzzle solutions, for example, unless they're absolutely something we are dying to discuss. But um, if we start talking about something that we think might be a spoiler, we'll try our best to give you a warning. And if you want, you can then skip to the next chapter where we'll be talking about another game and uh, you can skip over the spoilers if you're concerned. We'll try to do our best to only grab uh, text clips of early game pieces so yes. you can still get a flavor of what it uh, reads like. But uh, we will try to avoid puzzles unless we think it's necessary to the discussion of the game and, and flag it for you. So even if you're not in a chapter one, you can just skip forward 30 seconds or so. So all that preamble aside, let's talk about these games. So. Yes. Something I find really funny about IF Comp is in the past, uh, we've seen a lot of people in the top five, top 10 who have a number or their game starts with the letter A. It's the same like Netflix special alphabetized thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. That like, you know, there's a reason there's so many movies and stuff with a number in it. So they show up on Comcast. You're going to pick that one. Triple A Aardvark Adventure always wins the comp, you know? It's... Well, it was like, um, for example, like 100 Ways to Kill a Vampire McDonald's is a great game from a couple of years back. I don't know if so many people would have played it if it wasn't the first thing that showed up for most players. So if you have alphabetical on and you go all the way to the bottom, you get the first game I played, which is Zazzled. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, I should mention while we're talking about how we picked these games, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of our disclaimer here, we are not, uh, we pick these games based on a variety of factors and uh, we, you know, we do our best to try and pick out the things that seem most interesting. But because we, you know, talking about it here on the show does not mean we think that it is the best stuff in the comp not mm -hmm. talking about it on this show also does not mean that we don't think it's a good game. It just means that for whatever reason we haven't gotten to it yet or, or what have you. So, um, you know, 
please don't take our choices here with any particular gravity. We're, we're playing based on whatever whims that, you know, hit us as we're scrolling through the list. Uh, for me personally, a big part of it is just doing the random shuffle. One of the things that they've added to the, uh, the competition page in the last few years that I really like is a mm-hmm. quote unquote personal shuffle where it will shuffle the games for you and then save that shuffle. So that the next time you return, it's, it's still random order, but it's the same random order. Very helpful. So a lot of the games that I picked are based on either past experience with the authors or something about the description that jumped out at me or just random chance scrolling through a list and clicking on something that interested me. And um, I think that applies for most of us. So, you know, um, if you have games that you think that we have overlooked, uh, you know, we do multiple episodes here, let us know and we will uh, we will make sure we get to them. Yeah, so I was really excited to play um, this and Pirate Ship right off because of past works by the authors. Steph Cherrywell had done Brain Guzzlers from Beyond. Um, Emily Short uh, described her work as uh, one of the standout creators of comedy parser IF from the past couple of years, uh, and that she's a taste for riffing on naive adventure stories. So her thing is very um, much into like, this is a pulpy genre author, and then I'm going to have a lot of fun with that. The other one, Pirate Ship, um, this year by Robin Johnson, she did Detective Land. Um, I'm saving that since I wasn't quite in the mood for pirates. I was in the mood, though, to be a uh, delightfully drunk, or is she, 1920s flapper. I I love the main character in this so much. I, I, uh, Laura, can you describe Hazel Green? Hazel Green is nowhere near as polished as Miss Fisher, but if she showed up on that show, she would be like hanging from a chandelier and then like pop it out and being like, boopsie. <laughs> God. Oh, so the game is set in the 1920s in a, you know, it it, it begins with a with a um, prohibition agent raid on a hotel bar that you're in. And it's just so full of like life and humor and 1920s slang like Hazel Green is like top notch main character for IF, like super vivid. I will confess that I read almost all of the text of this game in an accent. Um, so you're going to hear some of it when I repeat it. Uh, forgive me, but it's very much like, even in the help text, they have 1920 slang built in. But when you get to the description, you're done with help. She says, now let's get to it already. Starting now, you're me, Hazel Green, the swellest Sheba ever to grace a gin joint. You're parked in the lounge of the prestigious Grand Poseidon Hotel with a gullet full of giggle water, and you've been making the bedroom eyes across the room at a fella who you're just about sure is that hot pepper pie of an artist who's been in all the papers lately. And that's how it starts. And then the next word is RAID, all caps. So it starts off with a bang. Uh, it starts off with Charleston music, basically. Uh, and then it's water. You're drinking water, and that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. All the to drinks you. have turned into water. Poor Hazel. Um, Poor Hazel. So I, we didn't mention at the top that this is. I mean, you sort of mentioned it by discussing um, Steph Cherry Cherrywell's uh, previous work, but this is a parser uh, IF game, um, and uh, so you're exploring a hotel. Something I very much appreciate about this game is that it it takes place in a relatively restricted and sort of easy to wrap your brain around space. You know, the hotel is laid out like a hotel and the uh, the layout makes sense. I drew maps as I was going, but I didn't really need them a ton. The thing that I think is strongest about this game is its introduction. The uh, The beginning of this game plays out, of course, obviously it's a parser, but 
Uh, it really keeps the sort of pace moving quickly with the raid happening. And um, uh, Steph Cherrywell breaks the sort of parser convention quite frequently by, you know, when the, when she needs to sort of move things forward rather than waiting for you to type like you know, during the raid, the very first interaction you have in the game is uh it it you know you're holding a drink and and it asks whether you're wanting whether you're going to toss the drink out as you flee or whether you're going to hide under a table and finish the drink while the raid correction goes on. you can toss it out and beat feet for the doors or hide under the table and gulp it down again got a lot of <laughs> attitude a lot of attitude in the text um so i really appreciated that like it it uh, when it needs to like keep things moving forward at pace, rather than using the standard parser, it gives you menu choices, and then it plays with those menu choices pretty frequently. So sometimes there's parts in the game where you know certain menu choices can't be chosen, or the menu choices are phrased in very funny ways, um, or maybe you have multiple choices that all mean the same thing. Uh, so the menu choice thing is a, a consistent thing throughout the game, and I really liked it because those were the moments when I really sort of felt Hazel's presence the most, because usually those words the choices that you're making are, are in Hazel's voice. Um, and also when Steph Cherrywell needs to sort of keep things moving really fast, um, doing those rather than waiting for you to figure out what to type into the parser is really smart. So the introduction of this game just moves at such a quick pace that I, I really, really enjoyed it. I will say that after the introduction kind of finished, I, I found myself kind of confused about what to do next. Did you have trouble like kind of transitioning? I, felt very much like it was part of the pace of the game to make this kind of, you have this raid and this huge moment and then you're sober. And so the game literally slows down when you're sober and you're walking around the hotel, just kind of wandering around trying to figure out what to do with your poor sober self. That's a good point. Um, and I, I think it it worked for me because you got taste of everything going on that's weird in the hotel. I was just wandering around and, and you pretty quickly are – um, caught in a limited space, there's things you can't do, and then you stumble upon the central mystery. You get a ghost. Um, you have a, a weary, strange encounter, and then you're kind of spat out of that too. So you get this feeling like I don't really know what to do with myself. Like what what happened to my party? Uh, I think that was intentional. I understand exactly what you meant because you get this frolicking party atmosphere that's complete that's dampened pretty quickly. I mean, Hazel's always just a GD delight. She's a one one woman party. It's true, she's a one woman party, but she is definitely sad and looking at some depressing daiquiris and mourning for her party. So while I, you know, I certainly I read the description of this game, but I didn't quite expect the the turn that it takes, which is essentially it becomes a kind of uh, drunk flapper Ghostbusters. You're Luigi and yeah, you're running around. That's actually a really <laughs> But good. you're drunk flapper Luigi or sober drunk, sober flapper. Always well, you get drunk. drunker the longer the game goes on, which is part yeah, of which the is goal great. of the game, which I loved. Um, I don't think it's spoiling too much to, to say that. It's the art for the game. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a little bit of a spoiler. It is a it, few minutes. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's more literally... like 10, 15 minutes in rather than. I, I feel right. like I feel like what I'm about to say is like if not stated right out very heavily implied in the in the yes. description so the the main mechanic of the game is that you are searching the hotel for ghosts or excuse me for spirits and then you are drinking those spirits great little double entendre or what have you and and um, the 
So most of the puzzles throughout the rest of the game are, you know, the, the hotel is full of, of different hotel rooms and in these very di- various different rooms and spaces in the hotel, there are things that are odd. And if you inspect them closely, you'll find there's a ghost there. And so each of those involves a puzzle to kind of draw the ghost out of whatever the ghost is haunting and then drink that ghost. Um, I mean, it's not the most... The puzzles have a lot of clever elements to them, but they are very much like go get the red key, put the red key in the lock, um, which is fine. But I I think the the fun of it is what are the objects? What are the puzzles you're solving? It feels very much like a double fine game or like a, like a monkey island type game where the joke is what object you're bringing back. The joke is what you're using to solve the puzzle. Not necessarily like, oh, I need to have... You know, this needs to be longer so I can reach that. Yeah. Um, it's never going to be a stick. Yeah. This game is too good for that. Yeah, it's very much adventure game logic to the puzzles. Mm-hmm. And so that's sometimes, it's, it's a plus in that it is funny. Like, once I found the solutions, I, I did find them pretty amusing. But I, I will say, like, I didn't find the, fu- the puzzles particularly satisfying. I, I found the text surrounding them funny. Um, yeah. but once you the, get it... They, yeah. they complete very fast. Yeah, so that that's definitely true. Um, and it is set up in such a way that I don't think you can lock yourself out of any puzzles. Um, you know, it's pretty forgiving. Um, it doesn't, as far as I could tell, have an in-game hint system. Uh, it does occasionally hint things at you in the in the text, but it's not something like Wizard Sniffer where you've got like a flea you can ask what to do next or something. Um, but it's uh, it, it does at least, I think, have a, a very good walkthrough. Many of the games on the IF comp uh, page have walkthroughs available um, for reviewers and you know judges so that if you do get stuck but you feel the urge to continue um, you can go and, and look up a hint and this has a great one uh, very invisi clues like where you can get sort of progressively disclosed like here's a little hint okay here's a better hint okay here's a very explicit hint um, kind of opt into just as much hint as you want um, so that's there if you need it I did on a couple of puzzles um, there was at least the one, uh, the puzzle involving the artist, I won't talk about it, but I found that one very uh, baffling. Uh, the solution to it was funny, but didn't make sense to me. Um, I mean, it made sense. What It's adventure game logic. It's very Monkey Island logic. So um, if that's the kind of thing that bugs you, some people are just allergic to that sort of like funny adventure game logic, then maybe this game won't appeal to you as much. Um, I did find it pretty funny and, and engaging throughout. That said... I will say it does give you a real strong sense when something you're doing is a red herring. They'll literally just be like, you don't have to deal with that. Like, It's not something you need to fiddle with. You can start messing with objects. And um, sometimes there is fun text around them. But other times if you're trying to do something weird because you think you need to do that. Like, for example, there was a bunch of um, benzo bottles and I they were dusty. So I thought I needed to blow on them and read a secret note. And they literally were like, no, what are you doing? Stop that. Yeah. Um, I do appreciate some of that because uh, in a game this size, there are a lot of fun descriptors and the reward for this game is more jokes, more text, more time with Hazel. Um, If I had spent 20 minutes getting mad because I was trying to read a a benzene bottle, that's (laughs) not what the game wants me to do. (laughs) So um, the game also has some, like we mentioned, obviously that like, the main character Hazel is an extremely colorful character, but there's there's several other really well-defined, funny, really, really fun to interact with characters. I really like the elevator operator who's just mm-hmm. like, uh, she's a, you know, 
you know, junior ghost hunter type. And she's just so enthusiastic about everything. And and you interact with her a bunch because you have to go up and down the elevator a lot. I mean, I also really like Donnie Cantaloupe, who's basically a human embodiment of opposite day. But it's so much funnier when it's a mobster. He says stuff like, somebody steals from Donnie Cantaloupe and gets away with it. When I find out who's got my supplies, I'll do anything in particular to them or their family. (laughs) They'll walk away on two intact legs with all their thumbs, without a broken whiskey bottle in their keister. (laughs) It's like that's his speech impediment. He only says the opposite of what he needs. Very, very funny character. His threats are fantastic, and he threatens a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I will take away some points because uh, while there is a dog in this game – I tried to type in pet the dog pet or pet the Barnaby, dog. and Mm-mm. I got the phrase back, I didn't understand that sentence. I'm like, come on now. This is 2019. You should be able to pet the dog. You should be able to pet the dog. But right after I tried to pet the dog, I did encounter the phrase, dear thieving pieces of excrement. So I then felt better about the game. <laughs> yeah, it's just an extraordinarily funny game. Um, I, I had a great time with it. I would say that um, you know the the puzzles, again, didn't like knock my socks off. Um, and I, I think this is when we talked about, um, uh, Steph Cherrywell's previous winner. She won first place in the 2015 comp with brain guzzlers from beyond. And that game was pretty stunning. And I think this is still a very, very good game. Um, but I think not quite on the same level, but it's still, I think absolutely worth playing. And it was one that I zeroed in on immediately is one that I definitely wanted to play first because I was excited about it. And I think that that excitement paid off. Honestly, I always look for a light game like this. Um, every year there's something that is funny or light or weird, um, or, I am a bit of a style over substance girl sometimes. And like, I always want one of those games every year. Yeah. Um, This is definitely going to deliver on that where you are just having the best time reading this. I would read a book with this character for sure. How long did it take you to to play this one? Uh, I think it said it was going to be about two hours, but I I feel like I played it much less time than that. I think it it was pretty close to right on the nose for me. I think it did. Yeah, probably like an hour and a half. That might you know a a big chunk of that was getting stuck on one particular puzzle, Um, and there were a couple of other places where I was a little you know I just explored every room and read every description of every object I could. So because they were all funny. So um, yeah, I'd say about two hours was about right. and uh, let's see. So the uh, the next game I want to talk about um, is Turandot by Victor uh, Giesbers. Uh And I hope I pronounced all of that correctly. And if I didn't, apologies both to Victor and to Puccini. Um, so uh, Turandot is a... And I, I'm pretty sure I've got that right. I looked up the, the pronunciation. Yeah, you got there it. You, you just say it confidently. Because <laughs> it's uh, because it's uh, it's Italian and not French. I was I was pronouncing it Turndo in my head for a while. Um, anyway, uh, Turndot is based on the opera by Puccini, um, which I wasn't familiar with, so I Googled it before diving into the game. Um, and uh, what I came out with, the, with the, in the game is, wow, this was loosely based on that opera, <laughs> very loosely. Uh, but uh, so first of all, to explain, the, the opera is, uh, is about a, a princess um, who, you know, in order to, uh, everyone who sees her falls in love with her, um, in order to marry it's the Chinese her, one, right? Yes, yeah. And in order to marry this princess, uh, you have to answer three riddles. And if you fail, you're killed, I think. And anyway... Uh, that's the sort of basic theme here, or basic basic premise here. Uh, but this game, first of all, um, it, it 
it moves at an extremely fast pace. So, um, you know, in, in a way that I, I rarely see in games like this, and, and part of that is the way that it's formatted, um, you're playing as a, uh, as a young sort of rake kind of character. Uh, and I would also say like, you know, as a bit of a content warning, like this game is, you're, you're, you're playing as a guy who's maybe not a really nice or good person. Uh, he's kind of a jerk. You know, you, you, uh, he's constantly bragging about his conquests and, um, and about the orgies he's been to. And, uh, the game isn't like truly explicit, but there is a lot of sort of body talk in it. Um, and uh, the game begins with you and a friend sort of swapping stories about your conquests. And there's a very lively conversation um, and made all the more lively by the format here. This uh, this game uh, is done in choice script. So if you've played games by choice of games, this is that same sort of, um, you know, technology. Um, and what that means for the for this game is that every page is usually really short, maybe uh, you know a paragraph or two, and moves along at a really quick pace. It's easily readable, easily scannable. It trips along like really fun, punchy dialogue, um, and every single page ends with a choice. Um, most of those choices probably aren't meaningful, but because there are so many choices uh, that you can make, usually about you know what to say next in the dialogue or small choices about what happens in the action, um, the fact that there are so many choices means that I really don't know uh, what choices I made were uh, consequential and which weren't necessarily. Hmm. Um, and that also means that I don't really know structurally like whether this game has multiple endings. I can't really tell. Um, and I, 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 I mean, I'm not really sure quite how much branching it does. Um, but I really, really enjoyed the the story and the writing. Um, it's very funny. Uh, it's a different kind of funny from, uh, uh from Zazzled. I'll explain the story a little further without getting too far into spoilers. I mean, obviously I just said it's about a, a princess, right? You and your, and your, uh, cad buddy, uh, decide because you're so bored with all of the orgies and conquests, uh, that so boring. you're, uh, you've decided to break into the castle and see Princess Turandot. You know, people come from miles around to see your beautiful princess, and uh, it's said very that Aladdin. Any exactly, and it's said that anyone who looks at her falls in love with her, and you both say that's impossible. And you break in, and some really nasty things happen as you're breaking in, further proving that the main character is a real loser. Um, and then both of you see Princess Turandot. Turns out it's true. You both instantly fall deeply in love with her and then are caught by the guards. I was going to say, and then you murder each other and the game ends. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a fairly lengthy introduction. But the meat of the game, this is a pretty long game. It took me longer than two hours, but I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, the meat of the game is what could very loosely be called your first date with uh, with Turandot, which is that she, you know, you're brought before the princess um, and rather than kill you, uh, she decides that uh, that you know uh, what she'll do with you, what she does with all of her suitors, which is that she'll give you the choice to either leave or be thrown into Turandot's dungeon of death, which is a literal dungeon beneath the uh, beneath the palace, full of elaborate traps and uh, other dangers. Um, and uh, she's there with you through the entire process. So the, the whole meat of the game is you kind of navigating Turandot's dungeon while having a kind of um, conversation with Turandot that 
ranges around to all sorts of topics like your uh, your and her uh, backstories and your thoughts on the nature of uh, of sin and forgiveness and your thoughts on the nature of love and and it really is a wide ranging conversation. I mean. I don't know why. Like this is just reminding me. I know it's not the same as Galateo, but it feels like the same. Like let's just have a conversation. Uh, yeah, it's a conversation. Except, of course, in many cases, you're like dangling above an alligator pit while you're having oh, sure. it, that kind of thing. Um, and it's very funny, but it's also just I I I, I sort of wonder. Um, this really worked for me so far. This is my favorite thing I've played for the comp. Um, I haven't played a ton yet. We're just getting started, but like this is a, this is a strong game. Um, I wonder how well other folks will respond to it. I really liked the the story and text and characters of it. Um, but you know, I am a notorious mean girl liker. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is. This I was is about to say, like, mind. this is a game for you. <laughs> yeah, and so a story about an evil princess, uh, or potentially evil princess, really ruthless princess, uh, trapping a suitor in her dungeon of death as a as a first date is like right up my alley. I enjoyed the characters very much. And um, I thought the story had a very uh, satisfying conclusion, at least the conclusion I came to. Um, it has some twists that I thought were fun. So um, I really liked it. I, I, I'll, uh, I did save a couple of, uh, of quotes from it that I'll read real quick just to give you a sense of the, of the writing. Um, Excellent. This is very early. Uh, you and your friend Lando are you know, walking and trading stories about your conquests. He's just dragged you out of a brothel. Um, and uh, you were just describing all of the things you were about to do to the woman that you were there with, whose name you can't even remember. And, and Lando says, sounds, Lando says, once the racket has passed, sounds like it would have been a great evening. And then you say, great, it would have been sublime. It would have become the central ritual of a new religion of carnal transcendence. It would have, it would have, and then perhaps Lando ponders for a moment, but didn't you play out exactly the same scenario with Renata last week? You know, that sort of thing. And he also plays really well with the choice system because there's, you know, obviously every single page ends with a choice and many of those choices are um, just little difference of choices between different phrasings. Um, but uh, but he has fun with it and there's, there's different ways that it's used in clever ways. So for example, like, you know, do the gentleman want more wine? The merchant asks from behind his stall, waving a bottle around of what is sub in what's supposed to be an enticing manner. And you get three choices and all of them are yes, because of course you want more wine. Um, of course. Or there's a moment where you're attacked and uh, you know you're being attacked by a guard, and you're you have several choices about how to respond to being attacked by the guard. But the moment is short, and so you know you've got all of these lengthy dialogue options about uh, you know bargaining with the guard, or uh, or you know, asking the guard for mercy, or blaming someone else and trying to deflect the guard. But all of those options are grayed out because the moment is too short and the only option that it actually gives you is to shoot the guard with your crossbow. Um, so those sorts of things like, you know, using the format of the, it's very simple format, just, you know, multiple choice, click one and then click the next button. Um, but it uses those mul the multiple choice format pretty well. Um, and I really, really enjoyed playing through it. I think primarily what I liked about it is the story and the characters. Um, uh, I, I'm still not sure about the. Um, I'm not sure if it's intended to be played through multiple times. I don't think so. It's it's too lengthy and didn't really imply anything about that being sort of part of its design. But um, 
Um, I, I, I think this is probably my strongest recommend so far, um, but I, uh, uh, there's lots of other good stuff to talk about in the comps. So, um, uh, Laura. So I played a bunch of, I thought I was choosing based on description, but it turned out I was picking some pretty high concept or experimental games. So uh, every year there's always going to be a couple of these. I feel like with 82 games that there are a lot more than normal this year, and I think that's pretty great. I'll start off with um, probably the simplest and the, the most normal of these was one called Eye Contact. Um, it's by Thomas McMullen. And it is a very short conversation simulator. But what's really interesting about it is you are having conversation with someone one line at a time. And the text is really just their copy, uh, what they say to you. And then you answer with your choice in the Twine game. But every single back and forth is accompanied by a picture of their eyes, of her eyes. So every time you click on something and you say something back, you get a new picture of just the eyes, not even the full head, but like a little horizontal slice. So it's almost like getting a grayed out or censored video in a conversation. Uh, it really, I think the idea is to have a very small conversation, but make it feel more meaningful. Had it not had the pictures, this would probably be like a two minute experience. But with those pictures, it just makes it a little, a lot richer, honestly. And it makes it a little bit more interesting in as, as a concept. I haven't seen anyone play with photography as a way to deepen responses. Uh, I found it really interesting. It was probably about five minutes. I played it through a couple times. Um, you don't know what the argument is over and it's so short. I don't want to even spoil what it's about. But if that's at all interesting, um, it's probably under five minutes each playthrough. And I think it's really an example of what you can do with something super short in this medium. Sometimes things like that, these sort of micro twine games that are just there to express a single, you know, emotional moment or like some, you know, express a little idea. Uh, sometimes those are really like, you know, those don't often find their way into the, into the like top five of the comp, but sometimes they just have really innovative, cool stuff about them that finds its way into other games eventually. These are great Sometimes I have comp is a really great test bed for that sort of little like micro idea that's, you know, really worth exploring, even if it's not maybe a full game. I like that kind of thing. Yeah. And you end up reading a lot more into the images than you would because you want to know why at this point is her eyes closed? Why are they, you know, looking to the side? Is she lying? Like it, it you tend to overread the the short text because you have the eyes there rather than taking it at face value. It's a it's an interesting idea that is explored and then stopped. This would not have been a good, if you did this as a 30 minute game, who knows if they would have been like, part two is mouths. I don't know, huh. but it's short and sweet and I like it very much for what it is. Um, for something completely different in this little grab bag section, I played a game called Flight of the Code Monkeys by Mark C. Marino. Um, this one actually said it was going to be under 15 minutes, but I ended up spending a lot more time with it. And that's because this game is actually written in Python. It is not a parser. It's not a twine game. It's not a choice game. This game is actually written entirely in Google Code Labs. 
you click the link and you open it and it's in what they call playground mode and they ask you to don't worry it's not they walk you through this very easily so it's not intimidating if you're not a coder but they ask you to kind of duplicate it as part of Google Docs or you can play in sandbox mode and not save your changes and then the game is that you modify and run code snippets to reveal wow, what's in it. Wow, that's such a cool idea. I've never heard of anything doing this before. Like, I mean, obviously there have been games before that you know, I have comp that have included sort of code-like elements, but that was always sort of like just a part of the, the parser or a part of the the sort of simulation of the game. But like literally, literally like bouncing you over to a project on Google Code is like, a really clever approach. How did it work out? Yeah, so you get this notebook and um, it's as if you're in, like if you've ever, if you've never done a an online uh, like coding lab thing, it, it's set up where there's like a, a table of contents, which are all the different tasks you're set up. Um, you have an intro, which is where normally you'd be reading like framework number 250, you know, these are the things. It, it's all just... It's instruction manual. You're a coder who is uh, three days out from vacation. Uh, thank you for your 1,624 days of service. You must comply with all instructions without deviation. Five or more errors will result in a postponement of your next holiday. And, you know, as if I couldn't count. And so I began a day of code alterations. It's as if you are kind of keeping a journal at work slash writing your technical documentation. So you have tasks. Um, and what how it works is the beginning, um, very much a tutorial mode. They're teaching you how to run code in the simulator. Uh, they tell you how to like mouse over and hit a play button to compile on the screen. Um, again, you don't need to know anything about code. They're like, just hit this button to run what I've already written. And then um, they'll teach you how to tweak the code to change what spits out. You literally do a hello world, which is the first thing in coding. Um, very mindless, and there's little jokes because it's almost diary-like as you go on. Um, at one point, there's a part that's called, like, it's commented out and it says meaningless list, and it's just a bunch of text, and you can scroll to the side, and there's a ton of IF comp inside jokes, including something about, like, Andrew Plotkin's pants <laughs> and, like, uh, pick up lamp. You now know, like, you're going to spend most of this adventure hunting for verbs, that kind of jokes. But... You start seeing comments that have been put by in your fellow devs, and you don't know who they are. Sometimes it's personal comments from you, but sometimes there's these kind of subversion, like, don't type that command and try this one instead. Try this one instead. Hey, I think you should do this. And they're kind of inserted in the code. So you can do the whole game as intended by your corporate overlords, or if you're actually really looking at the compilations and you're looking at the comments, you can find kind of a secret hidden resistance game within the game, Um, which is really interesting because it's code. The idea is that it's hidden inside of the code that only by like running it and tweaking it and looking at the source code can you find the subversive material. Um, It's a very interesting way to do IF comp because there are so many different types of ways they can comment. Uh, you can have the main documentation, which is almost as diary, where they're talking about like, you know, you could change the number to 100 days. I sometimes have fun with error messages because I'm so bored at work. Inside the code, there's jokes 
that were clearly just, you know, changing variables or whatnot. And then there's the extra layer of this kind of resistance person that you don't know who to trust. It is a little bit um, dystopian sci-fi. There's an AI. And it's kind of implied that, like, the AI can't tweak their own code, which is why coders still have jobs in the future. Um, <laughs> I like that. He relates himself to a Shabbos Goy, which um, if you don't uh, know what that is because you haven't ever hung around uh, Orthodox Jews, uh, that's the name of the person who, uh, like, flips light switches or, like, starts the coffee maker for people who can't do work on Sabbath days. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, because, like, for example, um, I didn't know this until um, I I went to Rosh Hashanah dinner uh, with some of my uh, husband's family, and they mentioned that uh, hospitals in New York, um, on Saturdays, many hospitals will have a second elevator that stops at every floor so that people who are practicing don't have to press any of the buttons. I have heard about that. Yeah, Yeah, and and so... The idea of that being and like why you have a coder, why you would have a resistance, why you would actually need coders in the future is like, oh, because they need a Shabbos Goy, you can't do like the AI can't do work on themselves was a super interesting idea. The future does not sound great in uh, this uh, game, but I think Flight of the Code Monkeys is probably like I, I have only played a couple games. I would think this is one of the most innovative. I've never seen a game using Python snippets and embedded Python snippets that are editable as the game. Yeah, that's such a clever idea. I, I really want to give this a try. The next game that I want to talk about was Sugarlawn by Mike Spivey, or it has a, a subtitle, Sugarlawn, or A Foul Forever Foraging, which, uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, of uh, Infocom reference, sort of, and I I definitely enjoyed that. But anyway, this guy uh, has made some games in the past that have placed pretty well in comps. Um, last year, his game Junior Arithmancer uh, won seventh place overall, overall, but second that place- That was a Laura game. That really was a Laura game. Uh, it won second place in Miscongeniality, which if you're new to the comp, um, there's a sort of a sub competition every year where only the authors get to vote on each other's games, and they call that the Miscongeniality competition. Um, so this was popular with other IF authors. Uh, and it also won the XYZY award last year for best puzzles. So Junior Arithmancer, I mean, maybe you can describe it real quick, Laura. It is a math puzzle game where you basically have, uh, from what I can remember, is a, a wand where you can uh, cast spells that do things to numbers and you're trying to open um, different pu- puzzles. For example, can you get this to infinity? Um, I, get me a super negative number. Um, it's a transformation number puzzle game. Uh, very, very clever and slick and uh, fun to do with a team if you have any interest in math. And if you don't have interest in math, run in the opposite direction. Yeah. And that's why I was so excited to play this game because like, I clearly, I like admired that game, but um, I, uh, you know, I'm allergic to math. And uh, so I, I didn't get very far with it. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed hearing other people talk about it more than I enjoyed playing it. Uh, but this was a game that, you know, th- this has a theme that is much less likely to scare people off. Um, it's a, a sort of a uh, supermarket sweep style game show. So the, the premise is, I mean, here, I'll just read the introduction text, which I thought, which I thought was very funny. With a loud click, the door closes behind you. Finally, 
You are locked inside an antebellum southern mansion, alone, wearing only a chicken costume. You've fantasized about this moment for years. And then the game proceeds to explain to you that you are participating in a uh, game show, uh, the name of which is escaping me. It's like uh, Antique Escapes or something like that. Um, and uh, you're, uh, you're locked in this mansion. Most of the objects in the mansion have been removed, but a number of expensive objects have been sort of scattered around the mansion in a sort of a random fashion. Um, and uh, your job is to hunt through the mansion and try to grab as many of them as possible. And then at the end of a 30 minute time limit, they'll be auctioned off and you get cash for whatever the value is of all of the objects that you can collect during your 30 minute run through the mansion, sort of like supermarket sweep, right? So um, like a thieving supermarket sweep. Exactly. Great. Yeah. Um, I would watch this show. So the the implementation of the timer is pretty clever. You know, there's a timer at the top of the screen at all times. Um, many actions that you take, like examining an object, generally don't take up any time. Uh, but uh, sometimes something like, for example, reading the text of something that does take time. It usually just makes sense, you know, what's going to take time and what isn't. So it's not a real world timer it's a in-game timer. exactly it's, a, it's an in-game timer you know if you want to sit there and like read the description of the room 400 times you can do that and it's not actually ticking down the clock but every action you take kind of counts against that timer and most actions count for about a minute or five minutes there are some things that you can do that take longer um so um, it's kind of like a turn counter basically um and uh it's a pretty um it's a pretty in-depth puzzle experience here um what I thought was sort of interesting about it is that you can complete the game without solving almost any puzzles if you want. The game is intended, I think, to be played multiple times um, so that uh, you'll, when you go through and do it again, you'll know the layout of the mansion better or maybe have a map already prepared um, and maybe you'll know uh, different ways to connect things. Uh, the rules kind of lend themselves to that. Uh, every object that you pick up you have an inventory limit. Uh, every object that you pick up uh, counts against a certain inventory limit. You can only carry so many things at a time, although it gives you some flexibility by giving you the option to carry a sack. But if you carry the sack, you're locked out of some of the really high dollar value bonuses, namely that um, there's a there's a bonus that you get if you can escape the mansion during the 30 minutes. That's pretty large. And then there's another secret uh, objective that I haven't discovered yet. Um, and you can play through the game as many times as you want. It kind of implies that you're intended to. Um, and uh, at the end of each playthrough, it gives you a score. Uh, so my one run through of the game, I, I made $4,544. And I was informed by the staff of the television show that most contestants make at least 5000 So I didn't, didn't feel particularly good about myself there. But I, uh, I definitely saw places where I couldn't get and uh, had ideas about things I could have done to get to them if I went through the game again, and I'm planning on playing it a second time at, at the very least. Um, so it's it's really fun. Um, it's more game-like uh, than a lot of these. You know, it's, it's really not focused on its text. Certainly there is text, um, but the, the room descriptions are very utilitarian. Um, you're describing the objects in the room, and then you do get sort of like voiceover-esque text from the person running the game show describing various rooms to you and giving you like... You know, you walk into the Civil War bedroom and she tells you about the decor or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. But it's all uh, really the, the text of the game is is uh, there's definitely funny bits, um, but it's not really uh, it's not really a reading experience. This is more of a um, item management and uh, and time management 
challenge. Um, that was, I thought, really fun. And I'm looking forward to going back and going through it at least one or two more times to try to, for example, get out of the house. You know, I uh, I never got outside. There's multiple paths to get outside and those doors were locked. There's a complex system with keys that I didn't fully understand in my first playthrough. But now I've, uh, I've drawn a complete map, plan on drawing a map with this game. Um, I've drawn a complete map and uh, it's already like looking at the map after playing through already has me thinking about ways to get to locked rooms that I didn't get to in my first playthrough. So um, this is probably the most game-y because it's a game show of the parser games I've played lately. Like it's very, uh, very clever design and um, I'm looking forward to trying another run. I really want to play this. I think you talking about multiple playthroughs. It it reminds me of, you know, the difference between uh, being a contestant on the show and being a fan of the show. It's, um, it's why there's like survivor 23, like the, the fans always beat the faves, like people who were never on the show versus people who love the show. I feel like that's getting that flavor. I mean, I'm not actually a survivor fan, but I, I am friends with someone who is obsessed, but being getting that flavor where like the more you know about this house you fantasize about the moment for years making you better at the game that seems like something would be really hard to capture in a puzzle game when it's all about like discovery and first time experience so i i think it's really cool that they've made a game where they understand you're going to want to play again and it doesn't feel like you're replaying it might feel like you've just watched the show a million times before you got on it so yeah, I totally recommend uh, Sugar Lawn by Mike Spivey. Uh, and uh, I still don't know why you're wearing a, f- uh, a chicken costume. I'm not sure if that's a, a secret I've yet to unlock, but uh, you know. Uh, it's maybe to make it more game showy. Maybe you're the chicken. I don't know. I, I don't know, but I'm, I can't wait to find out. So uh, Laura, what else, uh, what else uh, do you have? So uh, I played a couple other uh, games in the experimental path. One I bounced off pretty quickly, but I think I might return to it later. It's called Pas de Deux, and it is by Linus Akison. That A has a symbol on it that I don't know how to pronounce because I'm very American and I can't pronounce uh, any kind of Swedish, I'm supposing, or Finnish last names. But um, it is basically a conductor simulation. You are a conductor who is uh, going to be conducting your community orchestra. Uh, You walk up at the beginning and you pick up your baton and you signal the harps and then you start conducting the Nutcracker Suite, the Pas de Deux in the Nutcracker Suite. And when you open it up, it actually has a packet and one is how to read music. And the second... (laughs) And the second one is the score to the Nutcracker Suite, which they suggest for a more authentic experience that you print out and annotate with a soft pencil. Oh, my. I did not have a printer, uh, so I just opened in a new tab. And I can read music. Um, I can read music very well. So I was like, who needs a pencil? Who needs to print this stuff out? Let's go. Um, the one thing I had a lot of trouble with is I didn't know... So the idea is that you are conducting an orchestra and every move the orchestra will continue with the piece and then you wait or you cue the next part of the orchestra and then you get more text uh, as the orchestra is playing through. Um, I ran into two problems. One is I didn't know the measure count. Um, So it's 
text. It just there's no audio. That's so I actually strange. opened up Spotify and played this piece of music because I didn't know um, I was getting it mixed up with a pot of do from um, or the there's like two movements in the pot of do and I didn't know which one it was um, and I'm not good enough at music to read like an entire orchestra of like 14 lines. I was like, let's, I don't know which one's the most important. So I, I if you want to play this game, like open up YouTube, Google, pot to do, um, like look up the track. There's no link to the track that I could find in the packet. Listen to the music. And then I had a lot of trouble because there's no measure numbers. Huh. And to me, it's all counts. Like music is a very, it's it's emotional, but it's mathematical. And this would be like the um, the cellos uh, go on a descending scale. And I'd be like, yes, they're going to be on this descending scale for two pages. So my next thing I need to cue is the harp. But I didn't realize that like I think every move is an eight count or it's a measure. Like I had a lot of trouble being like, am I bringing in like major movements, my bringing a major section of the orchestra, like where does my section of music, had it just said at the beginning, like you make a move every four measures, you make a move every two measures, this game would have been incredibly easy. But I literally spent 30 minutes trying to figure out, well, because you can miscue. Do, do you think this game is intended to be played by people who know how to, how to read music or is this intended I, for folks who don't know how to read music? You can... The you the orchestra will play the music as rehearsed with all of your miscues without you okay. They're gonna like come in late and the crowd will make noises and like we're like like you're not gonna put on a good performance. I don't know how you do this if you don't read music. Such because a because game. Basically and this is a funny thing to say about I Have Cop, it, it seemed like a, a very experimental game because I could see a version of this where there's frames and there's a frame with the score in it and it's highlighting the measure. And there's a frame with your orchestra. They actually even have a map you can trigger where it, it shows you where everyone in the orchestra is sitting huh. and you click on the buttons to cue people. Like I could see this being that kind of a game and then you unlock the story as you go. Um, it would be much easier. <laughs> um, I bounced out of it because I was having a lot of trouble figuring out that how many measures were per move. Um, yeah, really. I it can't sounds tell like if that's, you're playing like a you know a rhythm game through a text prompt or something. Yeah, like it's a conducting game, and it's about like cueing the right music, reading the music properly. It was. I keep calling it experimental because I've never played anything like this. It seemed wild that I was playing a conductor simulation through text, but it had so many feelies. <laughs> There's just a lot of things I had to have outside of the experience. Um, I don't know how you would play this if you didn't. I, 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 I honestly, I played for 30 minutes. I was like, I don't know how I would score this. Like, I have no idea if I, um, I feel like it could be a, it was almost like the Canadian road trip game where I was like, I last year that I played and I was like, I don't know Canada, so I don't know what these cities being far apart means. Had I opened a map of Canada, that game would have been much easier. If you read music, this game is much easier. Yeah, I um, just out of curiosity, I clicked over to see the there's a walkthrough, uh, which is just a list of commands. The walkthrough is a list of yeah, the commands. It's just like uh, first page, 
Celli, wait, wait, wait. Next page, wait, 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 wait. Flutes, next page. Oboes, French horns. It's like, that's, yeah, this sounds really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, and to me, again, I, I just tried to, I tried to use that walkthrough to try to figure out how many measures per line. Um, Cause it is kind of quirky text. Like you, you're doing this community orchestra. Like you hired two professional harpists because you don't have harpists. And like one of them's like a, the teacher and one's like her student and she's junior. And like you decide if you're going to be wearing a dress or suit. So there's all this delightful text story in it. I wonder about this because the, the description says, you know, keep an eye on your score or don't in this multi-layered parser slash choice hybrid. Casually explore the interactive scene or tackle the full puzzle lurking underneath to reach the best ending. So I went full puzzle. Right. I think you can just play this casually and the you're going to flub and you're going to kind of like not cue people and you can look at the audience and you can get the full story. I'm probably going to give myself a breather on this and try to play the story because there's enough um, fun stuff in the bits of text I saw. But I was just trying to figure out very – and there is an undo button – but I really just was trying to like actually do the full conducting immersion experience. Yeah, um, I mean, there's no way that Laura Nash is going to allow the orchestra to play <laughs> wrong, right? <laughs> I was like, there's a full puzzle experience. I have the score up in like one half my monitor and I got the game up in the second half. And like every time I'd be like, oh no, is it, it's not, I thought it was every four measures. Maybe it's every two measures. And like, so I just, I really didn't get past the first like, page of this for a long time because I couldn't figure out how long each turn took. Yeah, that's... If there was just a tidy indicator like each move is two measures, this game would have been so much easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great, Laura. I think that you are uh, you are either exactly the right person or exactly the wrong person to enjoy this game. <laughs> I, I am either the wrong audience and the right audience and I couldn't, but I couldn't figure that out. I was like, I'm Am I the worst person to play this game or am I the best person to play this game? I don't know. I don't, don't know, know either. That's really interesting. Uh, I, I I may try to give this a shot on my own because I don't read music and don't care. So maybe, maybe I'll get a completely I different game. I think the problem was I cared. Yeah. Uh, I think I neat. just wasn't supposed to care. That's really neat. And now for something completely different. Um, let's play Ancient Greek Punishment, the text adventure by Pippin Barr. So any review of this is going to be a spoiler. Um, any Google of the word of this title will be a spoiler because apparently it's the third permutation of the game. It started off as a flash game, then a like a typing adventure, maybe a speaking style, and now this one. Um, so if you like Greek mythology and you want to do a super short game playing with it, just open this one. If you're not sure, just let me talk at you for a minute but um starts off you are uh presumably dead you are walking up to charon uh the ferryman whoever sticks and you want to talk to him you can't you got something in your mouth so you spit it out and you've got a coin you've got the abdal the the coin of the the dead and you look you talk to him and he says cool who are you you sneak a look at your clipboard the options are Sisyphus, Tantalus, Prometheus, Dinads, or Zeno. And if you know anything about Greek mythology, uh, these people don't fare well in the afterlife. Oh, no. Um, so 
you can choose who you want to be. And then you ride the ferry over. And this is where the spoilers hit. So again, if you're not interested, just fast forward. But um, think for like two shakes what a Prometheus simulator would be. Oh, no. That's what this is. (laughs) Um, So... I'm going to read from the walkthrough, which is um, fantastic because the beginning of the walkthrough has sections called help with a single question mark, help with two question marks and help with three question marks. <laughs> <laughs> and the first one says, um, you know, type help into the parser. The second one says, um, this game is for a lot of people who've played my previous work and like, I'm not trying to make a super hard I have comp game. So I put words in bold, you should type. So maybe do that. And then the third one is like, okay, if you really just want to read this, like these are exactly the steps to, to go through. But again, it's a punishment sim. So um, they're explicit. Uh, they also let you, there's a button to go home to reset the game, which you'll obviously need because Greek punishments are that the things happen forever. So if you choose Prometheus, here's what the walkthrough says. Prometheus was doomed to be chained to a rock and have his liver pecked out by an eagle over and over again. Second bullet point. That's you. So just lie there and take it. Forever. Struggle if you must. And your commands are struggle, thrash, and writhe. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all you can do. Until you reset the game. And if you, and every time you struggle or thrash, the eagle pops up. And if you just wait, the eagle pecks your liver and you lose a point. <laughs> and then you thrash and the eagle flies away and your liver regenerates. And then you stop and the eagle comes back. And that's all you can do. <laughs> so the entire game is you can reset and then like pick a different person for another eternal punishment. Um, it is exactly what it says on the tin and i was like yeah this is what the text adventure version of greek punishment is you literally have three commands you can type over and over again and i know i know some fool is gonna be like if i type thrash 300 times there's gonna be an easter egg but it's greek mythology man there are no easter (laughs) eggs you're (laughs) They hadn't invented Easter eggs yet. Y'all. They hadn't invented Easter eggs yet. So it's it once you get it, the joke, it's a very good joke. Um, but I I did restart and uh, get the intro to all the punishments and find out what the verbs were because I found that a very funny concept. Um, Zeno isn't technically in hell, but his paradox is super annoying. So she threw that one in there too. So you just race forever. <laughs> you run down the track and try to reach the flag, but you're always... You're never going to be able to finish the race. Um, it's very, it's very satisfying for like a couple turns to get the joke, and then I stopped because I'm a sane person. Um, apparently, this was not what people did on that flash game. Some people tried for like high scores of how many days, and I was like, why? There's, there's literally no point. That's the <laughs> the point of the game is that there's no point to finishing this game. So fair. Um, All right, let's play. Uh, Ancient Greek Punishment, the text adventure. Exactly what it says on the tin and somehow not what I expected. <laughs> well. Because I didn't think about it. So you, you played a number of these sort of smaller brief experiences. And um, you know, I, I played a few things this week. The, the one that I, I clicked on just sort of out of curiosity and uh, ended up thinking was quite nice um, was uh, Out by Victor Sobol is the last one I had to talk about for today. It's... Um, 
it's a very brief parser based uh, interaction or, or story, I guess, um, where you, you start out and you're in a bedroom um, and the description sort of hints at your mental state. And it sounds like you're, you know, nervous and maybe depressed. Um, and the sort of gimmick of the game is that you really only, there are other commands, but you really only ever need to use the word out. Um, you can say go out or come out uh, or other variations, or you can just say out. Um, and the first moments of the game are uh, going out of your room. And then of course you you're, you go into your living room and there is your mother. And then you come out, meaning that you are coming out of the closet to your mother. Um, and that conversation plays out. And then you continue out, meaning that, you know, she asks you to take the dog out for a walk. So you go out of your house and then you go out of your neighborhood and out of your town. And suddenly you find you're going out and out and out. You're going out of the planet and out of the solar system and even out of the universe, sort of floating upwards and outwards in space. Your dog is there with you the entire time. Oh. Um, and uh, it's it's very brief. It's about a five-minute story and it's mostly about language and um you know, I, what i what i really appreciated about it was that i thought it was a, a really nice way of sort of using the format of the text adventure and your you know singular command out to kind of express a, a sort of a feeling the feeling of like of, of of lightness when a when a weight has been lifted from your heart right so there's this there's the the terrifying coming out of your bedroom and coming out to your mother and everything after that is this sort of like weightless, uh, boundaryless uh, exploration. And there are other things you can do. The game hints uh, when you finish it uh, and that th there are amusing, it even says there's a, you can type in the command amusing and it will list for you amusing things that you could try at various points during this process. For example, you know, there's, you know, have you tried dancing in the Milky Way or something like that? Uh, so there are mm -hmm. other things that you can, you can try as you're doing this and you can examine different objects and get additional text and everything. But ultimately you're going out and out and out and out, uh, the end. And it's, uh, it's, pretty brief. I think it took me less than five minutes all told. Um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, go back and try to do any of the amusing things. Maybe I, maybe I should, but, um, I, I thought it, you know, it, it's slight, um, uh, and, but it's maybe worth a quick play, uh, because if anything, I thought it did express that sort of emotional moment of the lightness of having this, this weight lifted from you. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought it was quite nice. And uh, that's all I have for you guys this week. Uh, we are going to be back next week with another episode. Uh, we'll be continuing our IF Comp coverage soon. Uh, this next episode is our special 200th episode. Uh, and so we're going to actually be returning to the topic of our very first episode, um, which please don't go back and listen to that episode. It was not good. We didn't know what we were doing yet. Laura wasn't on That's it. why we're redoing it. Yes, exactly. So this is a redo. It uh, gives us gives us an opportunity to go back and retry talking about Gone Home, which is a game that still means a lot to me and uh, was one of the reasons that I started this show. Um, and we'll have Laura on this time, which will be exciting. Uh, we're going to be using our- Special guest, Laura. Yeah, we're going to be using <laughs> our, our new modern equipment and, and better format and generally better ideas. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that. We like to close our show- with a segment that we call What's Making Us Happy This Week. And uh, Laura, what's making you happy this week? 
So I am excited because I have a new job that I start Monday. Uh, I will be working for a game club. We interviewed Eli Hudup actually on the show, and that is kind of how I got the job. So uh, I didn't get the job from the show, but the show introduced me to the company. And then we had a proper interview process. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so happy about this, too. I think it's just really, really neat. It's a good synergy, and they're lucky to have you. Thank you. I'll be joining as director of user experience, and uh, I'm really looking forward to starting. And that's it's making me very happy to uh, be starting so soon. Yay. Yeah, Monday. Wow, I can't wait to hear about it. I know, Monday. I'm so excited about it. I can't wait to hear uh, more about it. And um, I, you know, it's, that's just great. Um, what's making me happy this week is uh, maybe not quite as exciting or life-changing, but I, I will say that I've been waiting for quite a long time for the sequel to a book that I believe Laura recommended to me. Ah, it's so good. Years ago now. It was like four years ago. You recommended, or maybe three years ago, but the book came out like four years ago. You recommended uh, Carry On by Rainbow Rowell. And it's a... Uh, its sequel came out this week and I've already finished it because it was very good. Um, it, the, the series, the first book is a kind of a, uh, parody of, it's got a weird history. Uh, it's sort of a parody of Harry Potter in a sense, but with a twist, um, it's the seventh book in a Harry Potter like series that the first six books would actually exist. Yeah. So like the, the origin of it, and maybe you can correct me if I'm mistaken on something here, Laura, because I I didn't read the book that sort of preceded this, but it was, uh, it was based on rainbow. Rowell wrote a book called fangirls, um, which I actually tried to read. It wasn't wasn't, fangirl, excuse me. And I tried to read it. It didn't quite, uh, quite do much for me, but for whatever reason, this book really did. Anyway, fangirl is about a girl who is obsessed with, this, you know, within the within the book, there's this sort of Harry Potter stand-in uh, called Simon Snow that she's a fangirl about the book series, right? And I think in Fangirl, she's like writing fan fiction about it. She is racing the J.K. Rowling-esque author to write the seventh book in the series. So she's trying to finish her novel-length fan fiction that is super popular on the internet prior to the release date of the canonical seventh book yeah, um, in the series. And something that's fun about the first book is uh, Rainbow Royal was very um, cagey about whether this was the seventh book in the series or whether this was the novel-length fan fiction. She was like, this is my book. Yeah, I like that. But it definitely has the feel of like someone who really deeply loves these characters and has – so the, the, the sort of, uh, I guess, uh, other thing that really sets it apart from something just like – being a Harry Potter knockoff is that it's also a really sweet gay teen romance. Um, so the uh, the main character, the Harry Potter stand-in, uh, has a roommate who is the sort of dark, brooding villain uh, type, and um, you know, through the through the course of the first book, it becomes clear that their antagonism was actually rooted in the fact that they were really both truly obsessed with each other. And of course they get together in the end and it's very lovely. Um, It's a really, really fun book, Um, but it also was, you know, it it really felt like the seventh book in a series. It felt like the end of a long uh, story. Right. Uh, So I was a little surprised when I found out there was going to be a sequel. And now it turns out there's actually going to be two sequels. It's a trilogy that they take, 
she takes the characters in a different direction. It no longer sort of feels quite as much like a uh, Harry Potter knockoff and feels much more like its own thing, um, which is great. And it's great to see these characters continue because I really, really loved them. And it was just a really joy to read. And this book uh, takes these characters from their very, very British uh, setting and puts them on a road trip across magical America. Um, and her version of magical America is great. It's it's like inventive. She has cool ideas about like what would what would America be like in one of these magical worlds? How would it be different from the magic of of you know the UK? It's it's a lovely book. Um, I 100% recommend both. And apparently the third one is coming along, quote unquote, soon. No dates. That's tremendous. I mean, uh, Joanna Robinson uh, has read, read, I think, a preliminary copy of the book. And she said it was super exciting to her that the Magic America was written by an American because we've had a lot of Magic Americas invented by British people who don't understand like American systems. So I can't wait to read a road trip novel set in a magical America by someone who grew up in Omaha. Yeah. (laughs) That just seems like a great combo. It really is. It works well. Um, So yeah, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Um, uh, You can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net or on Patreon at patreon.com slash the short game where as i mentioned at the top of the show if you support us at any level you'll get an invite to our community on discord where we discuss the games we're playing as we play them we've got an i have comp channel there obviously where we're talking about everything we're playing a uh, great place to discuss things with us or recommend things uh, we also talk about you know upcoming episodes where we plan things and also we've got lots of great off-topic conversations there too um, of course you can also find us on twitter at underscore short game or you can email us info at the short game.net um and of course you can leave us reviews on all of your podcast platforms of choice um and uh, i like to think that we are a five-star podcast but it's not for me to say so uh you can also find me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k uh laura where can people find you you can find me at laura j nash and thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the short game